so we have a real problem in this country. Um, and it's been going on for a long time. And Tucker Carlson had a segment on last night that just reminded everybody of their place, right? So if you're, uh, and you attack someone and this person wants to defend themselves against your attack, if they are not black, if they're white, maybe Asian, maybe Hispanic, um, basically the generalization here is that you can't defend yourself because, oops, my volume was low. You can't defend yourself um, because this person is black and they'll charge you with the crime uh, for self-defense. Now, charging someone doesn't mean, doesn't prove that they, that, that, um, that you're guilty, but it's a step in that direction, right? Uh, a lot of times these cases, they don't, um, they don't even bring a charge because they look at it. The prosecutor looks at it, looks at the evidence and sees it's clearly self-defense and they don't need to bring charges. Uh, but in this case, this was in, in New York city, there's a new DA there. Uh, it's pretty progressive. And he brought charges, I guess, immediately after this, after this, um, incident. And, you know, white people, <laughs> I would argue, already knew this. I mean, most white people that are aware of, you know, what happened with George Floyd. And just if you're, if you watch the news, um, especially if you're a police officer, you know that if you get to, into an altercation with a black person and you have to defend yourself and you have a right to defend yourself, you still could be charged with the crime right? You could still be charged with a crime. And the, the self-defense laws are really interesting. Um, a lot of people um, don't know what they are. And I would encourage anyone, especially if you're going to carry a gun, you need to take a law of self-defense class. You not only need to know how to use the gun properly, right? I think that anyone who has a gun should take basic gun safety training, right? Know how to handle your gun and, you know, don't carry that gun unless you know you can use it. I mean, um, it's not there to just look pretty. It's a very deadly weapon that should be very respected um, in the danger that it, you know, in the, what it can do, it can kill. And you need, I think that, you know, most people need to be super careful. If you take on that responsibility of carrying a gun, um, you should have the knowledge it takes not only to use the gun, which most people concede they'll go get lessons on how to use the gun. But most people, I would, I think most people who get a gun for protection, um, don't think about the law and the law is actually different in different States. And it was about two years ago, maybe even before George Floyd, uh, or probably it was probably around the, around there when I found this guy named Andrew Bronca, and he, he teaches this class called law of self-defense, which is, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a attorney who basically consults when, when someone is charged with, um, murder or whatever, and they want to plead self-defense, uh, he will consult with the lawyers, right. To give them the best arguments. And he admits that like a lot of, a lot of cases where they say it was just self-defense are untrue. And it's true. Like a lot of people who commit a crime, They'll try to plead self-defense and it'll be totally false, right? But so they're just trying to get out of the crime. But then there's the people who thought they really were, you know, 
uh, abiding by the law of self-defense. They really thought that they could, or they, they had the, you know, ability to, uh, to use this gun. Those are the fuzzy areas. Those are the gray areas. And, and there's certain elements of self-defense law you have to meet. Um, and then there's the cases that are truly, um, everybody could argue, everybody could kind of see it self-defense. Now I watched the video of this one case and to be honest with you, it requires a little bit of, um, of looking at thinking and I haven't done that thinking, but this guy, um, comes behind the counter and I didn't even, I don't know if there's audio, but I didn't hear anything. And it looks like he's threatening the guy behind the counter. I don't even know if this guy has a weapon on him. I don't even think he actually like threw a punch, let's just say. So the guy, I think he pushed him and he fell to the ground and I don't know what he said to him, but the guy felt threatened, I guess, or maybe he, maybe he just thought it was a good chance to, to kill this guy. Uh, but I do think the right is, is jumping to a conclusion, right? We need, we need someone to dissect exactly what happened. Do the five elements of self-defense fit in this case? Um, and, you know, is, is our charge is really appropriate. So apparently he had a knife and he knifed the guy, the guy bled out and ended up dying. Um, so was that an appropriate response? Did this guy feel like his life was on the line, uh, you know, in this gas station or whatever it was, a bodega? I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a food, a food, a food stop or a gas station or something. But I mean, if it were me behind the counter and this guy is, is coming up in my face, pushing me, right. He could beat me up, right. He's, he started the uh, initiation of force, which is, pushing. Now pushing, you would think that's not really life-threatening necessarily, but if he pushes you and starts punching you, which I didn't see in the video, but he definitely pushed him down and, you know, he got up in his face and who knows what he was going to do next. He could have had a gun on him. I mean, this guy, if he's pushing you, that's some kind of physical altercation that could escalate. Now you'd have to look, I think, at the guy getting up and the guy then Right. What did he do right before he pulled the knife? What was the other guy doing? Right. The, the attacker, the initial attacker, what was he doing? Um, and then see if that makes sense that he knifed him. I mean, who knows? But I'm saying is that I actually initially reacted um, negatively, too, because we, what we've seen in this in our, in our country is that every time it's like a black person uh, and a white person or Asian, if anytime it's interracial, uh, they always, they always will, 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 um, not give the benefit of the doubt to the white guy who's, who claims self-defense or in this case, it's, I think it's a Hispanic guy and they'll immediately charge him. And so this, I'm not saying that that was the wrong move. Now thinking about it, maybe it was the right move. Maybe he didn't respond correctly, but I feel like if someone is, you know, it's 12 AM he could have a gun on him. This is New York City, right? He's already assaulted him. He's already punched him. He's already, sorry, he's already threw him to the ground. He's yelling at him. I mean, you have to think the worst. Like, you almost have to think the worst. You don't know what this guy's going to do. So I tend to side with the Hispanic guy that knifed him. Um, but again, it's it's one of these gray areas that you'd have to look at every 
every step of the self-defense, you know, requirements. He couldn't flee. I don't think so. I think he was like trapped in this corner. Uh, he thought he was, his life was probably, uh, his life was threatened. I'm sure. Uh, he was scared. He'd already been assaulted. This guy was the aggressor. I think in this case, everything, all the, all the checks, you know, would apply. The sad part is that the knife hit this guy right fatally. Like it would be great if he could have knifed him a place that wounded the guy, right? And he didn't die. That would be, that would be the the best, (laughs) the best possible outcome of this. But I think this country is racially charged and race, unfortunately, is going to come in to these, um, to these situations every single time everyone is going to go to their stereotypical response if it's a black person typically now not all black people but i'm saying majority they're going to think this was an inappropriate response right and then people on the other side you know maybe white or hispanic or asian they're going to think well this guy was the aggressor this guy was attacking this this had to be done uh this guy has a right to self-defense right and they're going to immediately assume um perhaps that this is just another one of those cases that we see time and time again of someone not being allowed to defend themselves and being charged. Right. And their own people think on the people think on the right, typically they're being charged because of their race. They're being charged because they think that anytime there's an altercation between a black person and a white person, it, it doesn't matter the circumstances. People don't go look at the law, which people should be talking about the law. Technically, people shouldn't be talking about the races, but that's what comes up because our society is so racially charged right now. Uh, everyone thinks of that. And then everyone goes to their preconceived stereotype, stereotype view they have. And that's, I'm saying that, that that reaction might be fine and normal because we all think this is like front and center races. They talk about race every day. But then you need to slow down and think about, well, you know, perhaps this wasn't a clear cut self-defense case. What are the laws in New York? And what were the circumstances? And if you're not an expert in reading self-defense law, perhaps you don't even know what, what are all the elements of self-defense law. There's one of them is called proportionality. So your self-defense has to be proportional to, to the potential threat. Uh, but this one, you know, if, if you think someone's about to like harm your body, right, harm your, harm your person, like either kill you, rape you, et cetera, et cetera. You're allowed to use deadly force to prevent this attack, right? They need, but they need to be imminently coming at you or, or the threat is real. Like, and this guy, he's already been thrown to the ground. Just looking at it, you know, and I'm again, not an attorney, but just looking at it at the, at the beginning, you know, here without the audio, it, it looks like it's reasonable. And, and this idea of reasonableness is crucial in the law, right? The law actually does not define what's reasonable and what's not. They leave that up to interpretation and to society. And we've drifted away, in my opinion, from what is reasonable. Like, um, and so I think every, everyone's emotionally charged, especially when it's a racial, racially involved case. Um, it gets blown out of proportion and all anyone can see at a potential trial is now race. It's us versus them. The individual cases and their circumstances be damned. They're just thrown out and they're replaced with this idea of this is a black guy and this is a white or Hispanic guy. And like the only reason he had to kill, he killed this guy was because he didn't, you know, he either didn't like blacks or he thought all blacks were dangerous or he just, 
Um, it's just like this. So blacks get defensive and rightly so if they think that's how white people think. And then, you know, whites also have a similar reaction where they think, well, well, you know, there's a lot of black crime and, you know, this guy could have been killed. The black was the aggressor. He deserved what he got kind of thing. Um, and you do, you know, if you are attacking someone, if you rob, if you intend to rob somebody and you are the aggressor and you have a gun on you, or you have a bat on you, or you look threatening, or you look dangerous, or you say you're going to hurt someone, you know, I, I didn't, I don't know what the audio was. You could have said he's going to kill him. Who knows? And that would have been, you know, if you said anything like that, like, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. I'm going to beat your brains out. If you said, I'm going to kill you, especially something like that, uh, that's self-defense. Like that's clearly, if they say that you're entitled to defend yourself um, because you have to take that threat as a real threat. Uh, so that would be kind of case, case closed for me, <laughs> but, but anyways, um, now it also is, you, you, so someone says I'm going to kill you, but they also have to be there immediately with you. Like the, the, the context around them, this is one of the other five elements. Like, is there immediate, is there an immediate threat? Like this, this idea that someone says I'm going to kill you, right. Could just be a joke. It could be a text. Now that's bad too, but there's no immediate danger if they're not in your vicinity. So, so there's that all of this stuff has to be combined into this idea of was self-defense appropriate at the time. And I really highly recommend, especially even if you're not a gun owner, you know, this guy had a knife. Um, even if you're not a gun owner, I would still recommend taking this class or a similar class where you understand the elements of self-defense. When is it appropriate? When is it not? Because this can ruin lives. Like if you're take, if you think that you have the right to self-defense and you don't, and you harm someone and you're prosecuted, you can be out hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not upwards of millions of dollars for your own defense. And like most people don't have that kind of cash sitting around. Uh, so it destroys law. It, it can, you know, ruin your financial life uh, just to protecting yourself from ending up in jail. If you legitimately think you, you know, has right to self-defense. Uh, which is definitely a right, but sometimes all the elements aren't there and you'll be convicted. But you'll, you know, you want to hire the best attorneys to try to, you know, save your butt because you'll pretty much do anything to get out of jail. But it's it's so crucial, I think, to understand the law around this area. This is one, you know, I was, in, I was listening to this one call in last night about this New York uh, guy who's running for what they call state senator, so not not the federal level, but uh, but they're asking him what would you do to help schools, and he said practical training, but no example was given. Some people said, well, accounting, finance would be great, but this is this is clearly something that would be useful. <laughs> like if you're going to teach students, uh, maybe add a class on self defense law, like because this is good stuff to know. Everyone should know this stuff. I mean, you might have to defend yourself at some point and you want to know the law because, and especially if you're going to be holding any kind of weapon, you definitely want to know, you know, when you can use it and when you can't. And it, again, differs by state. So, um, yeah. Anyways, uh, I, I do think that we have this, we have this problem in this country where now everything is racialized and people are blinded by this emotion on both sides. I'm not just saying it's one-sided, it's both sides. Um, and I don't know what to do about it. I think it's going to persist. I think this problem is going to persist. And the only thing that I can think of 
is that people are not going to want to associate with, with other groups. They're not going to want to go into certain neighborhoods. They're going to be fearful. They're just going to avoid certain areas, uh, you know, and it, it, it can also work uh, with any racial group. I mean, racial groups might just stick to their own kind because they just fear, um, they fear being falsely accused, right? They fear being threatened or whatever and not being able to defend themselves without maybe their company firing them, it going viral, they're being charged with a crime. Um, I'm here in Texas and there was a case, um, this guy from Waco or, or Colleen, he was, he's like a military guy, uh, was off duty, um, driving around during the BLM riots in Austin and he got swarmed by the, the, the rioters or the protesters and somebody come, came up to him, walked up to him, I guess with a, a, a gun exposed. He felt his life was under on the line here and he shot and killed the guy. Um, and they're prosecuting him. You know, it's been it's like two years later and they're finally you know, bringing it to, to, to court. So you can think that you're in a conservative state uh, and that's not going to help you. And I also learned through this class that I took, this law of self-defense class, that even if you're in a rural, rural red part of the state, like you think, you know, you're in like Lubbock or you're in, I don't know, West Texas, um, you know, you're not in Austin, you're not in the liberal Mecca, uh, you can still be charged. Like, so think of it like this, you're, you're out somewhere in West Texas and you're, def maybe you're defending yourself or you think you're defending yourself. You have a right to use your weapon against someone, but somebody films it and it happens to be that you're going up against, you know, a different race person and a black person, say maybe you're white or Hispanic, and it just goes viral. And there's public pressure now. Someone's filmed it. There's public pressure now to prosecute. And even though you're in like a red county, they can send, the state can send different attorneys from the most liberal corners of this state to prosecute your case. So there's these liberal meccas, I think, there's liberal meccas, there's liberal cities in pretty much every red state. I can't think of maybe one state, maybe Alaska. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what goes on there. I love that state. But um, I'm trying to think of one state where there's not a liberal uh, seat, right, that could potentially have local DAs or local prosecutors who work in that office who would gladly take this case, gladly take a case to make their career. Um, and there's a great book, and I actually haven't read the book. I read, I started reading it, and it was turned into a movie. The movie, they say, is not, not nearly as good as the book. It's called Bonfire of the Vanities, and it was like 1992, Tom Wolfe. And if you just go watch this movie or read the book, it's, it's describing sort of what's going on today. And I, I suppose this is what was going on when they had high crime in the 70s, uh, 80s, 90s, maybe. Um, I don't know what decade was the worst. Probably the 70s. But I hear the 90s was, 90s was bad, too. I was just a kid, so I don't remember. But, um, but yeah, this movie, this book came out, and it was about this uh, affluent, rich, you know, white Wall Street guy who hits uh hits and kills hits a guy who is in the street on accident um 
and then he later dies. And then, and then this prosecutor wants to win like reelection in this black neighborhood. And so he, he, he uses the case uh, and, and he combines, you know, with a media type journalist who just want to make their career and go, you know, if they, if they go after this case, they can make their careers, they can win votes in the black community, but they can just be sensationalized nationwide, right? Books, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of people who think this way, right? Who don't, who don't give a damn about the people they prosecute. They just care about themselves, their own political career, and um, they'll, they're not out for the, the truth, right? They're not out for justice. They're out to make a name for themselves. And these people are absolutely despicable, in my opinion. Like, you should not become a lawyer or prosecutor. You should not become a prosecutor, right, if your ultimate goal is something other than discovering the truth, right? You shouldn't just be prosecuting people just because you think you can win. You should be prosecuting people who you really think are guilty, right? And, and same goes for the defense. I'm so sick and tired of these public defenders, right, who think it's their job to just defend anyone, even if they think they're guilty. Now, I realize in the law, people are right now entitled to a public defender. Um, but, um, but these people act like, you know, ever since the OJ case, right? OJ didn't have public defender, but he had private, you know, defenders. And these people act like their job is to get this guy off at any cost, at any, you know, it doesn't matter if the truth be damned, they're, they're working for their client, they have to get them off. Now, I realize if you're paying someone a lot of money to get you off as a defender, you're going to probably, you know, try to do that, I guess, because the money is good if that's all you care about. But I don't think that they they have the moral high ground here. I think that the you know court system, if it um, if it's functioning the way it should function, in my opinion, it should be about justice. It should be about it should be about searching for the truth, right? Now, I get that I get that if you're you know you, you're defending someone, you do want to you do want to try to do your best to get them off. I think, but in a way that I think, I, I don't think like a, a legal technicality is a pro is a really appropriate defense. I mean, I guess in our legal system, there's, there's all kinds of loopholes and, and parts of it that just don't work that well. But my point, is, my point is, is that a lot of prosecutors aren't there for the truth. They're out to exploit anything they can. So they'll prosecute you, even if they think you're uh, innocent of a crime, if, if it fix, fits their political agenda, if they think they can make money off of it, they'll do it. So um, you can't trust. Like, even if you think you, you, you um, fit all the elements of self-defense, you know, legally speaking, you have to be prepared when you fire that gun or whatever, you're probably, you might be prosecuted, right? Especially if you're the wrong race and you end up killing someone of, you know, a protected race, which I can't stand the fact that blacks in this country are given a free pass, right, for criminality, right? They're just held to a looser standard than any other race in this country because they're black. And I think that's the truth. Um, people don't want to hear it, <laughs> but how, how can you... I mean, I mean, I'd love to hear some arguments against that. Um, but I, I don't know why. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I just, that's, 
that's how I feel. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just, you know, emotion speaking. But um, you you have you have um, a bunch of black DAs, and there's one that stands out. This one is, I think, in Chicago. And she, Kim, Kim Fox, maybe, and she didn't want to prosecute. There were two, two people having like a gun battle. They were, they're black. They're both black. And I think one died and she said it was mutual combat. (laughs) And so she didn't want to prosecute the guy that got killed because she said mutual combat. Uh, I I don't think that would occur, you know, in a non-black area. (laughs) I mean, that's not a thing, mutual combat. That she could charge the guy, and then he could claim self-defense. You would again. You have to look at the elements and see who, who first initiated the fight. You know, did they were they really defending themselves? You know, and and if someone initiates a fight with you, you can defend yourself. But say the the aggressor walks away, or goes back and gets a weapon, or uh, takes a breather for five seconds for for a minute, right? And you have an opportunity to escape. Right, but then you re-engage this guy, you no longer have the law of self-defense on your side. That's not self-defense, right? You're now trying to get even, you're trying to finish the fight. So the the law of self-defense only protects you if you're not the aggressor. And there was never a moment for you, right, to, to literally like escape the situation where um, there was never a moment where the fight sort of ceased, right? You know, and you can't claim later that you just come back up to him, right? And punch him or something. That would, you would lose your right to self-defense, right? You can't get back at someone because you had an opportunity to leave the fight, right? And, and obviously, if you're coming back at someone, that shows that you don't, you no longer think your life is on the line. Now, Maybe in a special circumstances like your home, right? Or maybe they're going to another room to rape your wife or daughter. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about maybe in a bar, right? Where they're going away, they're not posing another threat to you or your, your family or something, or they're not in your house. And who knows what they're, maybe they're going for a knife in your kitchen. Like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in a different scenario. So all of this stuff depends highly on the context. That's why looking at a short video, you know, the video that we saw of this last guy who knifed someone, that's not even enough. Like, you really need to know what was said, even with that. And the problem with these short clips that get released and go viral is you don't know the whole story. There's, it's just impossible to know the context, usually. And it's, it's usually just a shortened clip. And it just goes viral, and people just automatically assume someone's responsible and someone else is guilty. And the problem with that increasingly in our society is that we have like mob rule where people are now tried in the media, right? Whatever you think about the guy, Derek Chauvin, right? Uh, George Floyd case, whatever you think about him, if you think he's guilty, he did not get a fair trial. He was tried in the media. Whatever you think about those other two guys or three guys from Georgia, I think, right? Who were charged with that jogger, (laughs) killing the jogger, um, whatever you think about McMartins or whatever, whatever you think about them being guilty or not, they didn't have a fair trial either, right? The black community brought Al Sharpton. They, they sat, they protested, right? They sat, sat at the courthouse. Uh, they had, you know, presidents 
comment, like Obama probably commented, I think. Um, they had, you know, powerful black people coming down, praying with the families. Like this, this media display, you know, bring out all the, you know, they had a marching in the streets. They had just, you know, where they, they, were, they were saying they were going to riot if it went the wrong way. Um, they intimidated the judge. They intimidated the jurors in both, case, both of these cases. So who, who, I mean, these people didn't get a fair trial because the jury was tampered with, they were threatened, um, and because blacks always threaten to riot <laughs> if they don't get their way, right? And we've been letting them win. We've been letting them riot and bow down to their demands. And this is another thing that pisses me off. Uh, why are we rewarding, why are corporations rewarding uh, blacks who protest? And now they know that, that they can do this and just push buttons and get cash thrown at them. Why, why, so why would they stop? Why would they stop making viral videos of blacks being killed at the hands of policemen who might legitimately have had to kill them in self-defense? Uh, well, they're going to keep pushing the buttons. They're going to keep posting videos because they can make money, because they can make money suing police departments, cities, uh, personal, the people that, um, the people personally that end up having to, you know, what they think at least, kill them. So you have to take away the, the monetary incentive. So the other reason why this is not going to stop is because blacks have every incentive to play the race card, right? Even if they sort of know deep down, which I don't think they, they like to know. I think that they, I think that there's some cognitive dissonance going on. And I think they honestly believe a lot of this stuff is true that, oh, they didn't have to kill my son. Why'd they have to kill him? Yeah, he was fighting back, but they shouldn't have had to kill him. You know, I think they honestly believe this stuff. But they're also not going to stop blaming whites, right, for deaths of blacks, maybe at the hands of police, because they can get money. And, and so you have to take away this incentive to sue cities and police, which I don't see happening anytime soon. And, it, you know, the city's money it's really taxpayer money. So taxpayers should be outraged, but a lot of white people are too scared to like say anything negative about blacks. Blacks are like this godlike status right now in our country. And they're, um, they're, they're very, okay, I'm going to read these comments. Have you had any violence aimed directly at you? Um, I have personally, um, it's been a while, but I don't, I don't want to get into that case necessarily. So I just think of something else. Um, I have felt harassed like on the street. Um, I, and I was just walking fast. I don't carry a gun personally. Um, but I've never been robbed, thankfully. And I've never had my house broken into or anything like that. Uh, so I've been pretty, um, pretty lucky in that respect. Let's see. I know I sure have, but my Lord mercy, hope she, to God, she isn't how she's coming off as being here. Hmm. How do you think I'm coming off? <laughs> I hope they don't take our right to sue and discipline, please. Okay. No, I'm not saying that I'm not saying there's, there's no, um, I'm not saying there's no reason to see police. There's there's sometimes there's sometimes really bad officers who right who act poorly. Um, 
what I'm talking about here is is a person of color, a black guy, right, uh, attacking a police officer, and this police officer having to defend himself. And it could, you could think of like a, a white guy being robbed. Same scenario. Black guy is attacking. Black guy is the aggressor, and the person feels like they have to defend themselves. Um. So you don't think someone should have to defend them? Should be able to defend themselves is what I'm hearing. Uh, but you you have a right to defend yourself, right, from someone attacking you. It doesn't matter what color they are. All I'm saying is that when it happens to be a black guy killed in an altercation with a white person, right, white police officer, whatever it is, the immediate assumption is that they did this because they were black, right? They did this because they're racist, uh, not for any other reason, not for the reasons that they were attacking them and posed a threat to the police officer's life, right? But because, uh, um, but they just see race. They just see color. And you know what? If I were black, maybe I would play the race card too. I'm not really blaming you for wanting to play your race card. If you can make money playing your race card, right, then people will do it. So I understand natural incentives, right? And I understand that we are a racialized country. And any time, again, there's an altercation between two groups of people. They're different races. One's black, one's white, regardless of the situation regardless of critical thinking about, well, what was the context here? Did the, was this guy actually having to defend himself, you know, legitimately? And you can, you can look at the law, right? This can be taken to court, but most black people are just see race, right? They can't see past it. They're blinded. And you know what? A lot of white people are too. So what I'm saying is that we need to put that emotion aside and look at the context and try to see past race, right? Try to see past race and say, look, this was a clear case of self-defense. It doesn't matter what the races were. We should go with what the circumstances were and what the law is. But show me a case where the majority of black people have ever said that, right? Show me a case. I, I, I tend to not see it. Now, I'm not saying all, all black people think that way. Um, I know of a lot of uh, critical thinking black people that um, they probably would disagree, right? But a lot of black people see this, right? They, they tend to be the most collective people out there. They tend to be the least individualistic, just statistically speaking. Um, and so they tend to see race the most. You may not think or see it that way. Help me out here. Oh, well... Yeah, and that's the problem is is that listeners, listeners like to, well, sorry, not listeners. Um, well, this is the problem, right? Is that anytime someone honestly speaks about race, they're immediately cast as a racist, right? They're immediately cast as racist. This is why like most white people aren't willing to even discuss this. They're not willing to have these conversations, right? But... You know, when when is it going to be right to have these conversations? And, you know, I want to have this conversation. This is another topic, but I'm very interested in the concept of reparations and whether, you know, reparations are appropriate for taxpayers, right, to, to give to black people. 
Uh, but but I bet you anything, there's not going to be much of a debate because whites are scared shitless of talking about it. But you know what? You're If you want reparations as a black person, you need to bring your case before court, in my opinion, and let's have a real trial. Let's put it on trial. And in a courtroom, right, if you believe that any defense is possible, any argument should fly, you know, as long as it's relevant, right, a judge would say this isn't relevant, you can't bring this up. But if it's, you know, passes muster, if it's relevant to the case, whites should be able, whites, Asians, Hispanics, any taxpayer really should be able to defend themselves from having to pay reparations to people that they never harmed, enslaved, right? And technically, every black person today was never enslaved, right? Um, so, and, and every white person today never held slaves. So, um, in my opinion, all arguments should be on the table for why we should deny blacks reparations. Um, every single argument, uh, whether it's offensive to them or not. So if we can bring in other arguments for why blacks statistically on average do poorer than whites or any other demographic group, we, we should be able to bring in average SAT scores, right? Average IQ. Because you're talking about averages when you say most blacks are doing worse off. So that means that the appropriate response is to come up with alternative reasons for why those average statistics exist, not talking about any one, one person, but we should be able to defend ourselves with arguments, even if they're offensive or quote unquote racist for black people to hear, right? For whites to, def to defend themselves against charges of racism, we have to be able to offend black people. Black people are going to become very offended, right? When more people, white people especially, start saying, look to blacks, I'm tired of your complaining. I'm tired of your racist claims, right? I'm tired of you blaming everything on whites. I'm tired of being, being told I owe you for reparations for a harm that I never did to you. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of you getting affirmative action, you know, in preferences and hiring. I'm flat out sick of it. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of people saying that there's too many blacks in jail. Right. Well, they're, you know, the obvious answer is don't commit crimes and you won't go to jail. I'm sick of being told that this is a systemic, systemically racist country. I'm sick of being told to self-sacrifice for blacks, which is basically slavery. If you tell me that the blacks need affirmative action, you're telling me that my white children should have, even if they score better on a test, right, or qualify for a job at Google, more than yours, more than your black kids, your black kids should get the job because they're black, <laughs> right? So in order to defend ourselves against unequal treatment, right, and discrimination, every argument should be on the table, and these arguments might offend black people, right? But being offended is not a right, right? This is what I have a big problem with the woke people. Being offended... Um, isn't like a crime, right? Or, or offending someone is not a crime. Offensive language is just language. It's not a threat of any kind. Um, and the woke people that want to control our thoughts, right? And I was on this call last night where somebody was talking about what's a woman. And they finally got, I think, on the right track. They started thinking about it conceptually. And the problem with trans people trying to say, you know, I'm a woman, you must call me a woman, 
is that in my mind, you are trying to manipulate my brain. You are trying to say, you should not hold any concept in your brain about a trans person, about the, the transition from male to female. You should just consider this biologically born man who wants to dress up like a woman, and I'm fine with that, um, wants to call themselves a woman. I'm technically fine with that as long as it's not by force, but they want to force you to call them a woman. But conceptually, that's wrong because there is a difference between somebody who's born biologically female and who was a man, transitions, and maybe they did a great job. Maybe they had the best breast implants, whatever surgery, great. <laughs> maybe they look more female than I do. Awesome, <laughs> right? Great for you. But still, you're, you're still conceptually different from someone who was born a female. And by you trying to force me to call you just a woman and group you with other women, you're mind raping me, right? This is mind slavery. And the people that call me racist or say that, that blacks can discriminate against whites and it's not racism, right? That affirmative action isn't racism. To me, that's mind rape. They're trying to control your mind uh, so that you don't think this way, right? But that's slavery in the mind, in the thoughts. And so um, I just can't agree with any of that. Okay, let's see. I uh, can't call in. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to have to go soon anyways. Um, uh, okay, I'll play it in a bit. I don't know if I, I can't play it on here. Because every time I play it on here, uh, play a video, like it takes me to my YouTube app. And then, or, well, I guess I don't have the app. I just have it on Safari. And then it will cancel my, it'll mute me for some reason. Yeah, I'm sick and tired of being told too that I uh, that I should feel guilt and shame for being born white. You know what? I don't feel any guilt and shame, and that's I think that's how you save white people. And CRT is there to dismantle this, right? C CRT is here to uh, manipulate our kids into feeling guilt and shame from a very young age. And if you feel guilt and shame for blacks, you'll feel like you owe them something. And then you can be exploited later in life, right? If your kid goes to a school and he grows up learning about CRT, he's going to feel shame for being white. He's going to think that he owes black people something, even though he's done nothing to a black person. And he's going to be okay with affirmative action. He's going to give them even more. He's going to vote for reparations. He's going to vote to give blacks free houses, which is what the government wants to do today. Well, not the entire free house, but they want to you know, help blacks get houses, give them a lower interest rate, pay for a down payment. This was an article that came up recently. The Federal Reserve, you know, wants to add a mandate called equity, right? They're, they want to add equity. They want to add climate stuff. They want to add, right, from their, the Fed has a dual mandate right now called price stability, which they're failing at, and employment. And I think employment shouldn't be one either, but um, it should just be maybe price stability. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, they're, they, so the Fed... So in the future, little Timmy, right, your son, who ha who's going to all this CRT stuff and, and no white around him is sticking up for whites. No one around him. All the elites, they're saying, yeah, yeah, we should be giving blacks all kinds of shit, all kinds of free stuff. They should be getting, getting more jobs at Google. They should be on every TV ad commercial. They should be, you know, half, the, half of the cast of any Hollywood big budget movie, right? Even though they're 13% of the population, even though, right, blacks weren't really around in 18th century England, you know, if they want to do a historical period piece, 
oh no, you got to put blacks in there and you got to make them be the king. You got to, you know, that was why I like Bridgerton. I'm, you know, I do like some female things. <laughs> it's kind of like, um, my junk food, <laughs> Bridgerton. Uh, but yeah, you know, the, the second, the second season, um, there were, I guess they were Indian. Um, but of course, you know, the Duke, it was black in the first season. He was black too. Um, so blacks can never be shown as the enemy. They can always, they, they should be shown in good roles in movies and TV. They should have extra, um, casting, you know, they should be promoted. They should be on the boards, right? It's not just blacks. I tend to, you know, obsess about them, but just because the Democratic Party is obsessed with black people, but they also like LGBTQ, right? They also like women to some extent, but it helps to be black LGBT and female, <laughs> of course, or trans. No, trans is better than female. Um, but yeah, um, uh, when are white people going to stop throwing their own children, their own selves under the bus, Right in that they're, they're being passed up for promotions perhaps that they deserve, right? And being passed up just to fill some quota, just to have some black person pretend to be at the top, right? And I say pretend because I'm fine if the black person earned the job and they're the best qualified. What I'm not okay with is hiring someone purely for race that doesn't meet the qualifications. Now, some, some blacks might meet the qualifications but have the added benefit that they're black, and I'm fine with that. I'm not, I don't have any problem with that. I'm talking about people that are just promoted, just hired because they fit a certain racial preference group, right? Or, or mandates from the government. Man, the government mandates sometimes that companies over 50 have a certain amount of diverse people. Um, so it's ingrained in our government. And I think that's especially bad um, is that our government has transitioned from doling out favors to trade groups to now doling out favors by racial group. So it's another kind of collective, but it's a worse kind because, you know, you could argue that this is going to create a race war. And I think, I believe we're already in a race war. Now I'm not talking about physical violence. I'm talking about vying for power to exploit another group. And I would argue that not all blacks, but most currently think that they should be seizing government power putting their people in there, putting their people in Google, you know, putting their diversity of black people up there in every company to hire more blacks. Like that's their ultimate goal is like to promote diversity. And they tell us this, it's not a secret. It's, they say it, it's the truth. And, and white people just, what do they do? They shrug. They, you know, these people just go along with, they either believe it, right? So they're into self-sacrifice. If you believe this stuff, you already believe in self-sacrifice um, and getting, you know, teaching children to not succumb to this, to not have guilt is to teach them the principle of, um, well, I guess you could call it self-interest, but, but not self-sacrifice. And I'm not talking about never volunteer or never give to charity. That's perfectly fine. But when you're being forced to do it, right, when the government's taxing one group of people giving to others, or you're being forced to have affirmative action, um, that's wrong. That that's not that's a form of self-sacrifice. When you believe that you should give to black people while it hurts you and your interests and your children, that's self-sacrifice. And that's what I disagree with. Let's see. Uh, let's see. I don't know. If, is someone trying to call in here? No. Okay. Let me look at comments. 
Um, CRT is critical race training, critical critical racial training, something like that. It's basically where they treat white people as oppressors, they treat black people as victims in every scenario, and they basically um, blame whites. They they sort of kick them over the head and say, you've been terrible, even though this person's done nothing, right? So their CRT is where black people treat all white people as one group and treat them as slave owners, even though they never owned slaves themselves. Um, I don't think your racist blacks could use stuff against you by no fault of your own. Well, okay, but I don't know really what that means. Uh, how about you do all f- that for all all colors of poor people? Well, you know, Biden has policies that, that help black poor people, but not white poor people. Whenever he was doing his COVID stimmies, he had this program for small business owners, and he basically said whites to the back of the line, line or at least white people. So if the money runs out, there's nothing for whites or this isn't a program for whites at all. Um, So, uh, yeah, there's a lot more poor whites probably because there's just a lot more more whites in the country than black people. But it seems like blacks get all the attention. I'm being falsely accused by assaulting someone when I'm innocent. I was set up by my ex and severely injured when he beat me up. He's white, but it seems the law already decided I'm guilty and can't afford a good lawyer. Legal aid denied me because I owe them money. Duty counsel doesn't defend it. They pressure you to plead guilty. Um, you, are, you are supposed to be entitled to a defense attorney if you're charged with a crime. Um... Now, often they do ask, they do tell you to plead, uh, do a plea deal. Um, I actually made the case that uh, that if I were black or whatever, I, I would, or a black attorney or, you know, wanted to give advice to black people, I would never have them plead. Because you know why? If all, if all cases ended up where no one pleads, then they never get hurt or... Um, because they don't have, don't have the resources, right? So, or you, you're, you know, your trial's in five years. What are they going to do? Hold you for five years? No. So I was trying to like, think of a way to like break the justice system or, you know, tongue in cheek. But I think this could be a strategy that would work. Like if you're black, never plead guilty. But also I thought of this strategy because there's been case after case where, you know, the Kardashians, all these, you know, white people usually uh, are going, looking at old cases where like the black person never, um, admitted guilt, they're found guilty and they're going back through the evidence and saying, well, this person's innocent. We should op- reopen this case. And so, um, you know, a lot of times they're getting a the guy off, getting him out of jail. Um, so just, just the fact that like, if you never, if you never plead, but then you end up, you know, getting tried and convicted, someone might come after you and bust you out later and just say, oh, you were an incident and throw resources at you if you have an interesting story. <laughs> But that's a, that's a sidetrack. It's a tangent. <laughs> well, if you have thoughts of suicide, I would recommend calling. Um, there's suicide hotlines. So I, I would suggest getting some kind of help. Um, 
you know, talking to people definitely uh, to try to help you out there. I'm not, you know, I'm not a social worker, so I'm sorry. I can't really comment on that, but I do know that they, you know, people, people tell, tell, tell you to call the hotline um, number and you can talk to someone. Well, yeah, I mean, this, this subject uh, is pretty offensive for sure. And it makes a lot of people very angry. Um, but I think the problem in this country is that we can't talk honestly to each other because one side constantly calls the other side racist. And, you know, lots of bad things can happen to you. You can use, lose your job, right? People will defriend you. Uh, you can be, uh, and especially, you know, if you were to get in an altercation, they would immediately you look at your comment history or anything you said and use that against you. So, um, yeah, uh, it's very dangerous to, to even talk openly and honestly. Um, but you know what, if we don't talk about this stuff, I think it leads to worse outcomes. It leads to people boiling over with rage. It leads to people being siloed, right. And not talking to other people because, they're fearful of them, right? Or, or, or they just grunt and take it. You know, I can't take being exploited and abused. I don't know about you, but I'm not into self-sacrifice at all. And maybe I'm a little bit more resistant to that because I was, you know, didn't grow up religious. I've been to church a few times, but, you know, the predominant ideology of church and religion is self-sacrifice. Um, and maybe someone would debate me on that. I don't really want to go down that angle, really. Uh, I didn't come to self-sacrifice because I'm an atheist. I came to it because of my political economic views, which is more free market, libertarian type, believing in capitalism and believing in individualism, which any kind of form, any form of collectivism where you're pledged allegiance to the group, self-sacrificing yourself for this group of people, um, like race collectivism, or at least a collectivism, or collectivism leads to racism, I should say. Uh, so if, if you think that you should self-sacrifice for your nation, for your group, for your racial group, you're a collectivist, right? And you're putting the group above your own self-interest. Um, you're sort of assimilating into the group. You kind of have this group thought. You all think the same way. Um, this leads to wanting to partition the state for, for favors, right, for preferences. And then uh, you, you ultimately have an out group, right? Anybody who's not part of your racial group is the out, outlier here. So, yeah, racism is a form of collectivism. It's basically treating people as a group without looking at them individually. Now, there are, I think there are times you do as a group, but they're very specific and they're for a very reasonable end. It's basically like, if I don't know you, I don't know anything about see you walking towards me on the street, but I know your race, right? Now you happen to be black and maybe they're with a group of black people. Um, am I allowed to think about crime statistics, right? Or about my own personal safety or the fact that they're male and I'm female and that I can be overpowered statistically more, more males attack more, females, not the other way around. Am I, am I not allowed to think about that because that's sexist, right? Same goes for race. Um, so 
I don't know anything about these people, right, on the street. They're strangers to me. I don't know anything about them. I don't have time to get to know them individually. There's no way I can know if they're dangerous or not. I have to make a split-second judgment for my own safety. My safety's on the line. I think you're completely justified in making these stereotypical split judgments based off averages, right? You apply the average to the to this group of people or one person because you have no other data. And if you're paranoid, if you're worried about your safety, if you're female, right? Females are always worried about getting raped on the street. Just most, most females. Most females are, it, even if it's unconscious, right? I'm not talking to, I'm not going around worried about it constantly. But like, you know, parking garage late at night, downtown or something. Um, yeah, strange men, creepy men. Yes. <laughs> now you just, it's in the back of your mind. It's unconsciously there most of the time. But you're like, ah, I'm not, don't feel comfortable in this situation. That's completely normal. And that's okay, right? It's okay to be afraid of people, you know, that you don't know. This used to be a thing when I was a kid. Don't talk to strangers. No one never told me don't talk to any certain racial group, right? Don't talk to strangers. And if I saw a group of white men that I felt uncomfortable around too, I wouldn't, I would be, I'd be fearful as well. It would depend on how they're acting, how they're behaving, what it is they're doing, the context, the time of day, you know, do they look threatening? <laughs> I mean, but technically, you know, there could be a serial rapist that, that looks like a, a businessman, you know, just walking home. I don't know. I mean, so you never know. You can never know. Right. But we tend to, we tend to pattern match and observe the news. And so are we just not allowed to use any data whatsoever to, to try to survive? I don't agree with that. Now, this is different from a person that you might work with. Like, I'm not afraid of a black person down the hall in a cubicle in a company I work for. I'm not afraid of a strange black coming into the office that I don't know, but he's there for a specific purpose. You know, even though I don't know him, I'm not going to apply the same logic here. But and I'm also, if I'm hiring someone, I look at their resumes. I treat them as individuals. I don't give a damn about their race. Um, it's a business setting. So you want to treat people as individuals when you can. But I'm saying you can't always do that. And sometimes for safety, my safety trumps all, all, all thoughts of someone thinking I'm a racist. Oh, you don't want to walk down that alley in black neighborhood. Uh, because you're, you know, you're afraid of black people or whatever this neighborhood is. You know, I don't care what you call me because I'm going to go with my gut. And if you want to call me racist for that, go ahead. You know, but, you know, statistically speaking, I'm going to be a little bit safer than some girl who's just going to walk down the street and be say, well, I'm, I don't, I'll just walk down. I don't want to be that girl who is afraid. Right? I don't want to be that person who's afraid. Right. And statistically, probably she's going to be fine. Right. Most people are not going to be victims of crime, but there is those cases where it does happen. And it usually happens to females who have been taught or just ingrained in society that they don't want to think a certain way. Right. About a strange black guy or strange Hispanic guy. It could be any guy, Asian guy, it could be a white guy, but they don't want to even have that thought. And, and something in their intuition sets them off, gives them like a signal, but they don't listen to it. It's called Intuition. This is a great book, again, by 
It's a guy, Gavin DeBecker. He's really good for females, but it tells you to listen to your gut. And uh, it's there for a reason. It's there to guide you. It's, you know, uh, it's sort of your fear response. And there's usually a reason what sets, sets you off. But what we do as humans is we try to analyze this and we try to say, oh, my fear isn't rational because, you know, this happens to be a black guy and I've been told not to be racist by society. I've been told that if I'm ever afraid of a black person, right, and I'm white, that that's wrong, right? My teachers have told me this. Society has told me this. Society has told me I'm a bad person, that I'm always racist. So, you know what? I don't want to be racist. I don't want to think I'm racist. So I'm going to walk down this street with this creepy black guy that I think is creepy. And it may not, it may not be because he's black. The, the, the response of the person who is fearful rationalizes it in their head. They get a fear response. That's called intuition. And then we as humans rationalize it. And then we decide to act based on, on whether this rational analysis that we do on the fly seems justified or seems to be correct right in the moment. And this is what no other animal does. He, Gavin Becker, he has this interview with Oprah. And he says that there's a, there's a case, he has cases of women that have been you know, violently assaulted. And later he interviews them, you know, and they explain they had this intuition. This woman gets on an elevator. And, and there's a one guy in there. I don't know the race, but there's just one guy. But he looks creepy to her. And she does it anyways. She's afraid of this guy for some reason. Maybe he's huge. Maybe she just doesn't feel right about it for some reason. Maybe he's giving her a smirk. Who knows? Could be anything. Um, but she decides to get in anyways. But she later, like, I think this was the one. There's many cases like this. But they, 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 they later say, I, you know what? I knew something. I, at least I had a feeling. And I just didn't. I had a feeling, but I still did it, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to make this out. Like every time you get a feeling, you should be fearful. Like, you know, I'm not talking about being afraid of everything, but there, this is fuzzy logic. Yes. This isn't like trying to, this is an objective, but this is just listening to your gut and some, you know, we observe people around us. We observe what's normal behavior and what is not. And I think most people will intuit, right? Or or somehow know whether they're in danger or not. And what we do as humans, again, is rationalize it away. No other animal would ever get into a steel cage or an elevator with someone they're afraid of or something they're afraid of. You, you couldn't do it. You couldn't force them in there. They would just have this responsive fleet. Now, I'm not saying that we should behave like animals, <laughs> but you know, we do have a rational capacity to think for a reason. Um, it's very beneficial. But sometimes it can get us into trouble. I think when we have signals in our society like we have today of just these ideas that even if you're afraid, um, you should analyze this feeling. And if it comes, it, 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 even, if, even if race isn't a thing, even if it's just something else set you off his clothes maybe whatever he was doing maybe something he said to you um kind of just made you feel uncomfortable you know this is not normal um but you don't listen to it right and i think people will go to race because it's something we see and if it happens to be a black person making you uncomfortable most women especially most white women 
will ignore their fear. And just all they have then, now, they're at the mercy of this guy. He could be a great guy. He could just, could just be his personality. Uh, it's kind of creepy, but maybe he's very friendly and great. Uh, but you're taking a chance. Once you step into that elevator, once you allow him into your house, this is one case of this girl who let some, who there was an apartment, I guess, in New York, and he was just hanging out in the stairs, you know, and then she goes up the stairs, she drops something, can of cat food. He gets it for her, walks it all the way up, and, and he says, let me, let me help you out here, taking you all the way. Oh, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. That kind of set off red flags for her. That was set off red flags for me. What happened? He, he raped her, and then um, he was going to kill her, but then she, she got out. Uh, probably when he was grabbing the knife, I think he went to the kitchen for something and she just snuck out, snuck out right behind him. But she gave this interview to Gavin Becker. She said, I knew it. I knew when he said, you know, I'm not going to hurt you. Right. Let me help you all the way here. Uh, that cat, that cat's hungry. You know, we got to get this cat fed. This, this is one of the, he also analyzes language patterns that, that, um, potential attackers might use to persuade you that like, this is like called teaming up together, even though you're not really a team, it makes it feel it's a way to, um, for a criminal to kind of like ease the, like make it look like you're on, you're on their side. And it's just one of these, I guess, psychological things that psychs you out. Um, but there's like different signs like that he even kind of talks about in these different cases. But, you know, I don't know the race of this guy, but if he happened to be black and this person was white, how many white girls would an overanalyze it? They, they, were, they would say, this seems kind of odd. This guy's kind of creeping me out. No, I don't really want him to come into my apartment and help me unload my groceries. Uh, that's, you know, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't know this guy. He's creeping me out. But how many white women would say, um, would say to themselves on their way up the stairs, no, I'm making a big deal about this. You know, maybe I'm, unconsciously biased, right? I've read, what is that book by that one lady? I don't know her name, but she basically said every white person is racist. They just default to racism. So she read this book and she's like, oh, this is my racism coming out. So even though she might legitimately feel fear, not because of his race, but because of something he said, like, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. That's kind of creepy. Um, she will, will rationalize this and, and say, well, I don't want to be racist, right? This is just a, something that racist women think. But it had, you know, in this case, maybe it has nothing to do with race. Um, so I think, you know, I don't want to pretend like I know the thoughts of a black criminal. But just like the way I believe the race card will be, continue to be played on any kind of black-white altercation, especially with a police officer, regardless of the context, regardless of the facts, they'll sue the city, they'll sue anyone they can for money. They'll continue to play the race card where they can. They'll continue to push reparations where when they can. They've been pushing it since 9-11, at least, because I watched this recently, I watched this um, case against reparations lecture, and it was really good. And uh, I'll take your call in one sec. Let me just finish this thought. Um, <laughs> I watched this this interview, and um, so they've been pushing reparations for a long time, and like I feel like this country is getting closer and closer to it because of the, um, you know, just because of where we are today. Okay, let me let me take your call. Hey, Lindsay, 
I really like your show. I, I respect your show. And oh, I think you thank you. Lot. I can yeah, be quite you, so that's that's unusual. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I am a subscriber actually, and um, I I think that when you, uh, I think you're being really brave. You're approaching your fears, even though you, um, you know, there are worse things in life than being called a name by politicos who are uninvested in your life, honestly. And this mm-hmm. is how I learned this because I lived in Western Washington State for a long time. Okay. And when you're surrounded by those people, they're not going to come defend you when you're being attacked. You know, if you step into a pothole in the street and nearly break your ankle, they're going to cock their head and look at you like you're a jerk. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're not helpful people in most cases. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so to let them determine public policy for you when it comes to your own access to self-defense is ridiculous. Okay. You know, letting those people run out and say, you know, if you want to defend yourself against someone that's terrifying you or terrorizing you, um, then you're a Karen automatically. (laughs) Why? Because because you're white, because you're afraid and you're a woman by yourself. And it's like it's not always that way. Now, there are situations where there are people who are overtly racist and you know, they just don't want to deal with a black person in their space. And that's true. Those people are racist and they, they deserve the name label. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to dox anyone. I'm pro-privacy for all, mm-hmm. for all people and to protect the, the, the boundaries of all people. Um, violence happens when someone is not going to respect the other ones. They're going to become a predator. They're going to, they're going to, exert their will to try to overpower the other one in an unjust way. All right. That's violence. <clears throat> and I like your logic. I like your thinking that self-preservation, someone who is going to call you a Karen is not going to defend you in the moment. Okay. So I want you to, to discard all of that garbage into a trash can, you know, mental trash can, just, just put it out and, and drop kick it into into a black hole somewhere because you deserve to defend yourself against danger. Okay. And if you are in danger, defend yourself. I mean, that's true. And I think go for the eyes and the soft parts, girl, do not allow someone to attack you. Oh yeah. 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 I think that my instincts would kick in. So even though I have this show, it would be used against me. I'd probably be charged, but What's better? Charged by who? See, this is they're they're not a criminal court, girl. They are not a criminal court. Oh, I know, but you know, if you you can be charged for whatever, I mean, prosecuted. They say it's your fault, and you did this because you're a racist or something. Even though it, even though maybe it could have been self defense. Anything that you said on idea could be used against you. But my instinct would take over because to me, it's better to be falsely charged (laughs) than to be raped or killed. Yeah. What What's the better option here? (laughs) Okay, survival, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, I was in a situation that was, you know, tenuous. And I'll just give you an example. Um, in, in June, I was, there was a driver who rear-ended me. And he was, he was an aggressive driver. He rear-ended me. And, um, and it, was a, it was a hit-and-run situation. I, I, I got out. I was super angry at the guy. Um, they defunded the police here in Austin. So I had to, I called 911. No cops came for a hit-and-run a hit and run. Okay. So I had to wait over a week for a detective to be assigned to my case. When they finally got around to me, 
um, the detective just said, well, because you got upset during the altercation, we're not going to prosecute because that's how I interpret the law for, for, you know, the city and the state of Texas. The detective told me because I got, yeah, the detective told me because I got upset during the altercation, they weren't going to prosecute the crime. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that that, that's one of those, those kind of like nuanced things that happen that is starting to happen to people. They're so busy. And you know what? A lot of the detectives, they get their cues from the prosecutors. Technically, I don't think a detective should be making that call. They should just be gathering evidence. <clears throat> and the process, but they, they know that probably prosecutors have told them, tell these people that they can't have a case because they don't want, they, don't, they, they almost like don't want to deal with you. They want to shove it onto their detectives. Girl, it's, it was a hit and run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, you're, so you're in Austin? I'm actually in Austin too. <laughs> Oh, okay. So uh, that, that's that's APD, and they uh, and that's that's how they're rolling right now because they have a lowered budget. You know what? I've made the case, the argument that the people that voted to defund the police should be last on the the. You know how we have lower resources to send out to not you know nine one one calls. They should be the last on the list. There should be a list of people. Now, I'm not really for this, but I'm it's like tongue in cheek. Like if you vote for, to defund the police, and you happen to be raped. Who do you think is going to come out and do your statement? I mean, well, let me give you an example. I just, I I just left, you know, Western Washington and the, and Seattle, I call it the people's Republic of Seattle (laughs) underfunded the police. And then they, they defunded the police, refunded the police, and then found uh, an administrative way to defund the police again. Um, So here's what's going on. They're just not prosecuting. They're not coming out to, to rape calls. So I think that, I think that, I hope that there could be private detectives that fill this void because if people are getting raped or whatever, <clears throat> burglarized, and there's not enough people, you know, there's not enough cops or detectives to come out. I mean, y- your case can go nowhere. So, but if you, if you, if I wonder if there's a way that you could say, hey, I know this private detective, can we substitute, can, can you allow that? Maybe they have to have like, an official city police officer watch it, right? Because I'd want, because, I mean, what if you had, what if you had a private detective? I think they have to be licensed. But what if they don't do it right? Or what if, you know, it could be thrown out? Maybe the, maybe the state or the city has to oversee the collection of evidence, even if it's done by a private mm-hmm. investigator. I don't know. But maybe, <clears throat> maybe we can fill the void, just like how there's lots of people with private police, you know, private protection because there's just not enough police presence. Maybe we could have well, private. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's one or the other. I mean, and, and I'm, I identify as libertarian most of the time, even even when they don't want me to. Uh, what I would tell you is that privatized solutions are what's left when there's no law enforcement, you know, when a law enforcement have kind of left the vacuum there. So it's either self-defense or privatized defense. And, or and- mafia. There's always the mafia. I'll bring that back, which is uh, not, great, not well, a great I mean, that's just, that's just mob government. Uh, you're, yeah. just, you're just handing the, the you know... It's it's like the yakuza or you know the Russian well, mob. You know, have or, you, you ever know. looked at the Have you ever looked at the history of how the mafia in Sicily started? <clears throat> no, I, I I didn't. It's actually very interesting. Um, but it, it actually started for a legitimate reason. They needed private protection. It started legitimate business. Yes, legitimately they needed private <laughs> protection because the Fed, you know, the government, whatever wasn't <laughs> providing it. Well. 
I think Cicely was going over <laughs> a, a transformation in the country, you know. Hey, hey, prepare us for protection. Yeah, yeah. But then they yeah, ended up exactly. turning on the people they were, who they were serving. And mm-hmm. they said, now you, now you owe us. You will keep paying us, right, not to hurt you. Like you Indefinitely, were paying us right. To protect you, now you're paying <clears throat> to not hurt you. It became this, you know, thing that is, you know, that people think of it now. But, yeah. Well, I think that there could be like a, an assembly. All there are solutions that evolve in in the time of need and crisis. And so, like in the case of like APD, uh, I am going back to uh, City Hall when they're going to come back from break, which is, you know, July twenty eighth. And um, I urge you, um, to, if if you have any atmosphere of personal concern or ha- have been <clears throat> you have been touched by the problem of lack of safety, I urge you to show up and you know, present a public input of some sort, I am going to do something in that, in that vein. Uh, but if I would prefer to do it when others are also doing it to add um, force of numbers and strength to revisit the issue, you know, well, I live a little outside. <laughs> I live a little outside the, I mean, I'm still in the city, but I'm not like downtown or anything. And i luckily, I haven't had any issues. Um, you know, I'm not like a partier. I'm not going out <laughs> at night and that kind of stuff, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been wanting to go and sit on some of these meetings. I've, I had a bigger interest, I guess, two years ago or a year ago. And now I'm really interested in like our grid. <laughs> so, um, I really want to attend some ERCOT meetings. I've, I've done a, done a few, uh, virtually, but yeah. And then the virtual meeting, they, they, they kind of want you to it's a form of screening, which I'm not okay with. You know, if you have points of dissent, if you want to participate in your local government, you know, they, they want you to submit your, <clears throat> submit your input ahead of time. So what happens is in these <clears throat> technocratic governments who, you know, they, they've figured out how to segment or block you or escalate interests that suit their own agenda and then suppress or, you know, reorder the people that they want to speak further down the line. And so <clears throat> if that occurs here, which I'm not, I haven't confirmed that that's happening, I'm going to trust the process a little bit to see how it goes. But if that's what happens, then um, I'm going to recommend and uh, approach the, the, the local government to reopen the the process so that people can be fairly accommodated and, and not be in, put in this, <clears throat> this kind of escalatory kind of stratification based on their agendas versus the agendas of the public. So I hope that doesn't happen, but it's the kind of thing that does happen in technocratic regimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've kind of, I don't know. I feel, yeah, change can probably be, I feel like things have to get worse before anyone's gonna. They're already bad. They're bad enough for me. They're bad enough oh, for okay. me. To do, okay. That, so that I'm going to go do something. I'm an activist exactly. already. Yeah. It's almost like you hit, hit your breaking me. point and then you finally do, <clears throat> do something about it. So each person has to hit their breaking point before they go do anything about it, protest or whatever. <laughs> Well, I mean, direct action doesn't mean you roll out into the street necessarily, you know, because I've discovered that that street protests don't have as much their visibility actions. 
They're like the pimple on the face of the problem. You know, yeah. they're not getting like, underneath the, the nutrition and know, the infection and everything else. It's like throwing a, ta- a tamper, a, ta- a tamper, tipper tantrum. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I really used to do a lot of uh, direct street action because I didn't, I, I wasn't as informed about process and, and applying myself to, to <clears throat> letter writing, which actually spooks uh, the public officials a lot more. Oh, really? It's even more when you publish your public input on Twitter and then also send it to the newspapers. It also like so just doing those three things, you know, as a as an accountability measure, like actually is is pretty potent work. I mean, you don't have to, to show up with an enormous number of people. You just need to demonstrate that you have a point. Well, also, all this stuff is public record. So <clears throat> attend the meeting, yes. you know, and, and, and talk. I mean, I don't know if it's filmed or if they transcribe it. Yes, there is, there is something. Yes. Yes. So it, they would get on. your, they'd get your points down and then some liberal, you know, media outlet would probably be outraged <clears throat> and write about it. And then you would get exposed. Or ignore it. More likely ignore it. Oh, okay. So they don't, they don't want to blow it up. Yeah. There's, there's, there's uh, articulations of, of, you know, if this suits my agenda, I will, I will appropriately amplify it. And see, like your your politici- your politicized media, they will amplify anything that makes them look good, strong, or or better than the the failing, weak partisans that are in the opponent box. Okay, their their <clears throat> their their job is to make their opponents look look bad. All right, and to make them look like they have the better option. Mm-hmm. So. So you just have to understand, like, okay, if you throw in with them, there's got to be a good reason. Like, is their point valid? Do they, you know, like, parents threw in with the Tucker Carlson set, okay, because he had a point. Okay, so they used his his program as a megaphone to say, listen, I, you know, I need some, I need some steerage over the content of what's being taught to my children. Can you please keep it to math and science and 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 language arts and social studies and please leave the social politics to to me and my household so there are there are a, a big majority of parents who thought that that was super reasonable and they were alarmed as hell that they were being taught the the critical race theory which is actually derivative communism okay it's it's wedge politics to kind of to fragment and and entrain or indoctrinate young people you have to understand that that's, you know, and if you don't elect it, like if you have no choice in the school that you attend and that's all you get, well, then, uh, then yes, parents are being forced into a corner and they got to stand up and say, listen, you, you yank my tax money out of my wallet. All right. I really think that I need a, a voice in what you teach my kids. And if they're just wiping them off the table saying you have no voice, you are a terrorist, whatever. Um, <clears throat> that is not fair. So uh, the blowback has been parents going, okay, didn't know I could reach for school choice as an option in public policy. We're going to go to that. Mm-hmm. And so they did it to themselves. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, I know that's far away from where you were kind of at. Far, <laughs> I just, I just go off topic all the time. I know. I'm so sorry. But, you know, no, I just want to reaffirm you and, and support you on your yeah. on your quest for, for uh, 
you know, gut intelligence there. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm not really speaking like, um, I tend to do this a lot. I'm, I'm, I tend to think I'm objective, but maybe I'm not. Uh, but okay. I tend to, I tend to even argue policies like, or, or, or ideas that don't even benefit myself, which is kind of weird. Um, because I'm around, I do it all the time. I'm around the Bitcoin <laughs> space, but I'm highly critical of it. <laughs> and actually I would benefit more probably if I didn't criticize it. I mean, in the, it, like in the very broad sense, um, without, without going to, into specifics there, uh, I forgot. What well, I mean, you're, you're evaluating the risks with the benefits and if it's too risky, you don't want to get in. I'm talking about not myself when it comes to personal safety. Like, I feel like if I'm being attacked or if I feel threatened, I'm not going to be the person that says, I, I, you know, I shouldn't feel this way. I should just go along, go along with this, go, you know, walk down the street. I don't want to, I don't want to be seen as a racist. I don't have that problem because I don't think of myself that way, but I am talking about the vast majority of like, you know, let's just say white or Asian or whatever kids, females that are growing up today that believe all of the, you know, kindies of the world or I forgot her name. They're really being faded, yeah. you know, pushed face down in this stuff. And, they believe and I'm it. not sure. I'm not sure that it's, it's, you know, they haven't questioned it enough. So it's okay to, 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 to call their logic into question, right? This is the, the, the critical thinking brain show, right? <laughs> so if you ever confronted by the people with flawed logic, you just do what you always do with people with flawed logic. You ask them questions about their own logic. You know, and I, I was, I was always wondering, I've been wondering this for like a couple of years. Um, there should be a class that teaches this stuff to young, impressionable kids. Because they're growing up. I mean, it's not just what's taught in schools. We can go against CRT all we want. But what is the larger society message? Like, what are they seeing on TV? This shapes how they think. I mean, I know it's supposed to be fiction. But what you see on TV, the ideas that are presented, the shows that you watch, are mm. picked up by kids. And so they're, they're being shown. that. So even if you get them out of the public schools or you overturn CRT, the left has control of virtually every institution and culture in this country. And so, you know, but they don't, they don't. And I'm going to challenge that assertion because you and I are speaking and just because we're not young doesn't mean that we aren't outside of that paradigm. And, and I want you to be aware that but how, many, a, how many, how many, of us are there. I mean, are we rare? And, and that's the whole point is to, to, is that you may feel disconnected from the numbers whom are like you and mm -hmm. see if you feel isolated from the people whom are thinking like you, then mm -hmm. you will think that your numbers are less when they <laughs> are in fact, possibly a lot more because they are quiet and you don't know them. So, mm -hmm. so people seek each other out online Okay, but but the clicks come from the conflict, and this is why there's a lot of privacy and and online um, management legislation right now, uh, because the cable news networks 
and TV are an extension of the outrage machine that they, they manufacture watching and clicks from conflict, from engineered conflict. Okay. They want, they want that, that juice that comes from, from people yelling and screaming and, and endorsing wedge politics when it, and when in fact it doesn't actually, it's not solutions driven. Okay. When it's solutions driven, people calm down. Okay. They, they calm down. They don't, they don't, they're like, Oh, well that's, that just seems sane. Let's just go with that. Uh, but that doesn't generate engagement. Okay. Yeah. So, so well, the reason why your perception is being shaped or their perception is being shaped it's chronic conflict. Okay. And sometimes the conflict changes. That's why everything's about this thing. It's like, everything's a wedge issue. Everything is peeling off from like the, the click that you were in with yesterday. And it's, it's so much worse than high school. It's so much more aggressive than high school because people aren't forming real relationships. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would just say that, um, I would say that it's, phony conflict not i mean it's it's no it is it's phony conflict but it, it but it's not so i like i like i get uh activated i like to argue and debate and stuff but that is a, about issues that i th- that i care about and but i would you know if people were actively debating about real real issues not just sort of ganging up with their tribe mindless mm-hmm. kind of whatever I think that we need more discourse. I mean, we need more conflict. We need not, not, not in the sense of structured conflict, not, 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 not like clickbait, but like a debate structure or, you know, where these different ideas come together and we can reason about them, argue back and forth. Have you, you mentioned you were a libertarian type. Have you seen Jonathan? Have you heard of Jonathan Haidt? He's like a professor of psychology. Oh, Hayek. Oh, Hayek. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Have you seen hi, it? Yes, libertarian psychology <laughs> or morals? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm aware of most of the, the the scholars, not all of them. It gets really nerdy when we get into, to, you know. The only thing I'll just point out is that he, he makes this, he, he has this, like, study, and he did this lecture. It was really funny. Uh, but he, he says a libertarian score lower on, like, every more, like, there's, like, five dimensions of morality. And libertarians score lower on every dimension except <laughs> this thing called reactance, which is like going against the grain, like being told that you're, you know, it's like you're, when your liberties are being infringed upon, you react. <laughs> you like arguing with people. Well, you challenge people's, uh, you know, assertions, and there just needs to be a preservative um, class of people who are saying, hey, hey, injustice <laughs> is not all right, and, you know. We need our liberties over here. So, I mean, I, I really feel like even if we're not in the majority, if there's a preservative uh, diaspora in the political, in the polity uh, that just says, hey, hey, you know, that's it, that's our entire role, kind of like antibodies, uh, then then I'm OK with that. I, I accept that that's my role in the in the uh, in the ecosystem, so to speak. Um, you know, it's boring and, and not everybody agrees with me. And I, and I get I get people throw swap on me all the time, but you know, I, I, it's okay. I think it'll be all right. Uh, cause, cause I'm not dead. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to meet a fellow libertarian ish. You know, this, this word has been like, it's been like a bad word for a while. Oh, you're a libertarian. 
Um, you know, and the only reason why that is is because the the prevailing polity has been entrained to, and you know what they like to tell you what you are and what you think and what you're about and misidentify what you actually believe in public. Like I've been told that I'm a fascist when I don't believe that the government should have anything to do with commerce. Okay, yeah. that that's that's what I actually believe. But when that's because they don't, they don't know post, what a fascist is. <laughs> well, I mean, fascist is whatever they say it is. Just like they say, you yeah. know, racist it's, was whatever the same they say kind it of is. Socialism is it's big government. It's you know, government control. Yeah, but you know, I mean, they they want racism to be whatever it is that they subscribe circumscribe that day, so that they can, if you don't do what they want, then they can marginalize you at will. Have you heard of at this guy, will Alex Epstein? No. Oh, okay. Well, he ha- his work is like, he wrote this book called Fossil Future. He wrote this book called Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. The media tried to slam him as a racist. It has nothing to do with what his work is. Oh, I know. But I know, he spent like weeks, he spent weeks like trying to combat this term. And I just, I just felt like, you know, and he's kind of like a libertarian type. But I felt like you're 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 by, you're 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 playing into their game here. Um, but it, but it shows me it makes me rethink. It's like it really does matter being called this term. But but why do we let it dictate our lives? Like I think it's just this. Mm. It's almost worse to be a racist than it is to be a murderer in this country. It's just it's crazy logic. Yeah, it's turned upside down. That's what 1984 was about, is about the manipulation of, of meanings and language to, to, to dither it into a, a source control. Like, like, what does this even mean? This is all meaningless. And so you look to, to the, big, the big think in the sky, the, the grand socialist mothership to tell you what's okay. Am I okay today? Am I okay today, mothership? And then if the mothership says... Yes, if, if you are not racist today by this definition, then you're okay. And that's why socialism sucks. You know what I think it is, though? I think because he... So... Oh, I actually have to go. All right. Well, I have to go, too, then. <laughs> Thanks for the talk, Lindsay. You're, you're really great. You keep doing this show. Thank you.